I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. Uh, we're continuing our study and uh, looking at chapter 2. I think we did about four, four weeks on James chapter 1. We'll do two Sundays on James chapter 2. Um, as we're considering looking at this idea of being wholehearted uh, in our worship that James is hitting. Not being double-minded, but what does it mean to be wholehearted? Um, you know, one of the things I am negligent in doing... Uh, is going to the doctor. Uh, folks say that you're supposed to see the doctor once a year. Uh, mine's more like once a decade. Um, and so it's been a number of years uh, since I've, I've gone. And I guess one of the, the things that I don't like is that when you go to the doctor, any sense of comfort of self-deception gets totally ruined. Um, you know, I like to think of myself reasonably healthy, um, and so I'll go to the doctor, and the doctor will ask you certain questions. You've got to fill out a form. I feel great in that I have all these no's to all these diseases and, and genetic disorders. Like, oh, this is great, you know. I'm healthy. I'm a, a specimen of health. And, and then they start asking you questions like, well, how many times do you exercise a week? And, uh, you know, you, you have a tendency of fudging a little bit on those. And, and I think the doctors know that. I think they automatically reduce it by half, whatever you tell them. Um, you, if you say three to five times, that means once a week maybe. Um, and then, you know, they may ask you things like uh, alcohol, uh, cigarettes. I don't smoke. Um, I don't drink alcohol. Um, and, and so I don't know if they believe me or not when they say that um, until they find I'm a Baptist pastor. Then they redirect the questions about stress and <laughs> things like that. And then they talk about how well you eat and ask you these questions. And I think, well, I, I feel good about what I eat, you know. But then they take your blood pressure. And that's when it goes downhill, you know, for me. <laughs> and then they say, well, it looks like we need to take some of your blood and look at your lipids and your, your various things. And, and, and the problem is I, I'm just naked, <laughs> Before the doctor in every way. <laughs> and that's a problem. Because now my blood is revealing uh, what my body is doing, what I'm eating and what I'm not eating. Uh, and, and they can see everything by the test they're doing. And I like to have a little bit of illusion of a self-deception. Um, it makes me feel good about life. And the doctors are there to wreck it. Uh, because they believe that better than self-deceived health is actual health. So what I want to present to you is that the book of James is kind of like that doctor giving you the spiritual diagnostic, and we all want to be spiritually healthy, right? We want to say, uh, when folks ask you, are you a, a follower of Christ, we want to say, yes, we are a follower of Christ. Uh, do you love God? Yes, I love God. I'm talking to this group. I'm not just talking to the Nightdale community, but in this group. We all want to say that we love God. And, and we want to be wholehearted in our devotion. But James is given a certain sign, certain things that reveal. He's, he's kind of uh, drawing our blood, if, if you will, and saying, okay, if you love God, then let's look at this area of our life. And that's when it gets, honestly, painful. Because we want to be healthy and we want to eat our ice cream too. Uh, and, and that's just not always uh, reconcilable. Uh, and so 
Uh, we want to follow God, but we want to be comfortable. Uh, we want to think, have God think well of us, but we also want our watching world to think well of us. And they don't always uh, coincide well. And so with that being said, uh, we looked last week at the sin of partiality or of favoritism. And we talked about how God has called us to be merciful. And we see this in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, just the, the plea for mercy. And what we're saying here is not just a general pitying of people, but to give real help to others. Um, and so we see this word mercy uh, numerous times in the New Testament to say that they sacrifice, they help someone financially, physically, emotionally go along the way. And so it has really um, much to do with how we treat people, not just a general feeling of pity. And so we, we want to demonstrate mercy because we are noble in Christ. We looked at that uh, as we were reading through the text of knowing who we are in Jesus Christ, that we are chosen by the Lord and that God are, is calling us as heirs with him. You see that in chapter 2, verse 5, that we're rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom. And so therefore, we are, have the freedom to give mercy uh, because of who we are in Christ. Uh, we keep on reading and, and we say we're gonna, we want to demonstrate mercy because we are seeking God's distinctions, not just mankind's distinctions of, of what is right and what is wrong. We keep on uh, reading, we talk about re- fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture of loving your neighbor. And so we not only seeking God's love, but we want to demonstrate mercy because we want to uh, obey love. God's called us out of love, and so he wants us to show that love uh, to the others around. That favoritism and showing partiality is a crime against the love of how do you really love people. Um, and so we keep on reading, but we, do, we want to show mercy because we want to be judged by mercy. We will be judged by mercy. You keep on reading in, in verses 13, 12, and 13. So uh, act and speak as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who's shown mercy, no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so he's going down this theme of showing mercy. So if how we endure suffering reveals wholeheartedness and God uses us to make wholehearted, how we show mercy also shows wholeheartedness or double-mindedness. When it comes to seeing someone we don't really know, don't really like maybe, or someone different from us, and how we treat them when they are in a lesser situation reveals what we think about who God is and whether we're wholehearted. So with that being said, let's go to verse 14 and through verse 26. It's, it's this passage that calls Martin Luther King to uh, believe, or Martin Luther rather, to believe that uh, James should not be in the Bible. Um, because he was hitting on Romans 4, that we are saved by grace, through faith alone, not of works. And then James kept hitting on some things that made him uncomfortable. So his, uh, one of his ones he mentored came up and helped bring some understanding to James and how it fits in. Um, when he said, faith, we're saved by faith alone, but faith that does not remain alone. 
All right, so write that little sentence down. We are saved by faith alone, but not faith that remains alone. The idea here is we're going to say that there is a trust and belief in God for salvation, for grace. But how is that faith shown, demonstrated, proven to the watching world is going to be our works that flow from faith. So with that being said, let's read this together. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read this aloud to you, as you read silently along with me. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and any one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active all along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You may be seated. So if you're familiar with the Bible, especially in passages like Romans, you might want to do a double check like uh, Martin Luther did. I read in Romans chapter 4, Verse 1, it says, what shall we say? What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see that repeated in Galatians, that we're saved by faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, you see it. And so you read this and you think, well, wait a second, this seems like it's saying something in complete contradiction. I knew it. The Bible's wrong. Let's close up church. Well, <laughs> we're not going to close up church. Um, the fact of the matter is there's an understanding here that is not a contradiction but a, compliment, a complimentation there. And so if I said to you, you're justified. There's two ways of understanding that word. You could be made righteous, all right? You've been justified. Or there's another way of using that same phrase, justify yourself. What does that mean? Prove yourself. And so, too, we see that James is kind of taking a nuance of the word here, and he's no longer talking about what we call 
atonement, I'm being made right, I'm using some big words, made right with God. In fact, we see in the same passage that James chapter 2 verse 5, in the same chapter he's acknowledging that we're not saved by any kind of wage that we do. All right? What does James chapter 2 verse 5 say? Well, listen my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? What does that mean to be an heir of the kingdom? That means you have been brought into the family and that the kingdom of God comes to you by inheritance. It is not because you did something. That would be a wage, not an inheritance, right? So James is bringing out something that was already understood. He would have known what Paul had already written here uh, in, in some of the early books. And he said, look, yes, you're saved by grace because we're heirs. We have the kingdom of God by inheriting it. But now let's prove it. Let's justify, in another sense of the word, what God has done. And so that is what he's doing as he thinks about judgment is without mercy. The one has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's show mercy. Let's show these good acts to others. So he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? It's a rhetorical question he's putting out there. And then he's going to explain a little bit more of what he's talking about. So as I go through, I want to just give you a couple of negatives that come from this text and a couple of positive. What is saving faith or what is this faith that produces this type of mercy? First of all, I've introduced to you this definition of wisdom. I think we see a thread of it throughout the book of James. Wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. Write that down if you haven't written it down before. Wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. He's about to bring out what it looks like when people see God's authority and they're in a world when there's need. All right? What does it look like to see God's authority when they are in a world with need. Now, all those words are important to this because I want to share with you the first negative. Faith is not just doctrine. Faith is not just doctrine. It's, it's more than doctrine. And what I mean that by that, knowing the teaching. Okay, so it's more than just knowing that God is the authority. It's more than knowing just the character of God and theology. Why do I say that? But as we read down the text, he gives this negative example. He brings out the demons. (laughs) He thought, well, you know, consider verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. That was kind of like the opening to the Shema. This is one of the Jewish uh, basic tenets. Uh, The Lord our God is one. Uh, Well, you believe that God is one. Great. That doesn't hurt you one bit. But you need to understand that faith is more than knowing that. How do we know? He brings out the demons. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe that. So, you know, we've got to understand, I think one, one of the things that we often get 
it's hard to say overly concerned. I don't know if that's the right word. But we focus on the Bible study and not so much the obedience. One of the great temptations that we have is that we feel like we are good followers of Christ because we're in church and it's a church that teaches the Bible. You take notes. You are listening. You go to a Bible study. You go to the BSF. You go to all the various studies. You go to seminary. You, you, you pursue it. You know it in the Greek. You know it in the Hebrew. Or you know these words. Francis Chan in one of his sermons just did a great little illustration of this that when he, when he tells his daughter to go clean his room or clean her room and comes back for a while, he's not satisfied when her daughter says, oh yes, I heard you, dad, and I studied your words. I did a, a word-by-word study of your instruction to go clean your room. I memorized it. I know it in the Greek. What he's looking for in essence is, is your room clean? And so too we need to understand that we can be so focused on just knowing the word that we don't do it. And so James is bringing out what, what is faith? Faith is more than doctrine. It, it, it start, it's you got to know some things about God, you got to believe in these things, but then act upon what you believe about who God is. You know, there has been a few times in my life I've been stopped by the police, um, and uh, I think more often than anything, it's been speeding uh, in the past, uh, hopefully not in my future, uh, but there was a, I think it was right about 2,000 was the last time I got a speeding ticket. And the problem is I got two tickets right in a row within two weeks. And it occurred to me, maybe God doesn't want this pastor to speed um, because I wasn't getting away with it. Uh, but, you know, one of the things they, they always ask you, you know how fast you're going? <laughs> Don't you hate that question? Because I, yes, I do know how fast. I was going. So here's the second question. You know what the speed limit is? I, the simple questions. This <laughs> is like, they drive me nuts. Okay. Uh, yes, I believe the speed limit was 55. Um, and then they have that third question. Just in case, give you a benefit out. Do you realize that you're going 77 and the 55? You know? Um, it's, it's the simple facts. It, you see, it, it's not enough, though, is it, that you know those things. Because you're going to get a ticket. Because the problem wasn't the fact that you know it. And even if you didn't know it, you'd probably get a ticket. Um, the problem was that there was a lack of believing these things were good. We didn't believe that the speed limit of 55 was a good thing for me. You disagree with that? How else do you explain going 77 and a 55? In essence, you didn't believe that it was good for you. There was a, a disagreement about who the character of God and adhering to that and saying, yes, you are beautiful, God, and there is some things I want about this. So uh, as we read this, faith is more than just doctrine. And I just want to challenge you a little bit to say, what are you doing with what you learn? 
How is it being fleshed out? When one of the things in reading the Bible and going through the F260, one of the things I have loved hearing is stories. I've heard a story even this past week where someone just was sharing, you know, I realized as I was reading the Word of God that God wanted me to give, whether or not I agreed or disagreed with the leadership, but I wanted to just worship God. And this was something out of Scripture that I realized that was true. And I think, praise God, that they're not just content reading, but they're thinking about how their life is to be conformed to what they're learning about who God is. That is the fruit of the Bible of the Word of God in our life as it comes out in your life. And if you're not obeying it, the Word of God ceases to be living in your life. So it's more than doctrine. But keep on reading verse 19. Even the demons believe and shudder. Faith is more than just respect and fear. It's more than just being afraid of God, more than just respecting God's authority. I mean, uh, the demons are shuddering at the authority of God. Uh, they believe that God is one, and it has a, a reaction in their body or in their spirit, their presence, their being of a fearful thing. And I think that sometimes that sometimes we, we are just like we know that God is God, and so we, we know that He can take away things, and so we do what we think is right so that God won't take things away, because we, we have this idea of, of what goes around comes around. When I do bad, God's going to treat me bad. If I do good, God will treat me good. The problem with that concept? has nothing to do with grace. <laughs> if you believe that, it has nothing to do with grace. I think we go down this Christian karma thing, and it's just not there. And, and the problem is that we treat God kind of like a vending machine, and that if I want certain things, I'm going to treat Him with some fear and respect, and then maybe He will out-pop the vending machine some help in my life. It's interesting, as we read in James chapter 4, uh, he talks about how we tend to fight because we have desires, and we're, we, instead of praying and asking God that we fight over these things, and then he says, and you pray and you don't have because your desires are amiss. And then he goes on later on and says, you need to cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. He calls them a spiritual adulterers. Why is he saying that? Because they're treating God not as God as the reward, but God as the tool to get the real reward. I thought about that. I was sharing with people in another country, and they said, well, if I follow God, will that mean that I always have food and have money, what I, what I need? <laughs> I was like, no. Because those things won't satisfy your heart. But he just saw God as a tool to get that. See, demons have this idea of shuddering, of fearful uh, of God's judgment, and so they're, they're trying to avoid these things, and we kind of go down this same direction. Faith is more than just the fear and respect. It's more than just acknowledging God's authority. That's why we have to talk about seeing the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. We keep on reading. We got the demons. Don't be a demon. All right? Don't be content with doctrine. Don't be content with just fear. 
Well, what are you looking for, James? Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. One of the things that you see in this passage as well as preceding, faith is being alive to the people around you. Being alive to the people around you with mercy. It it is to say I'm walking in this world and I am a sinner. I realize that I don't deserve God's place. I don't deserve His family. And I stand in judgment before God because from the beginning I've lived for myself and direct treason against the God who made this world. And I cannot do anything about it to fix my state before God. And there is always a lack of joy, a tendency of unease, uh, of guilt, a shame that's going to be shattered throughout all my life until something is done. And praise God, we realize that God has done that. Nothing but from me, but from God, His mercy and grace given to me. I walk in this world of need, and that's how I stand, that I have anything because of God. And so when people are around that have needs, like me, but I know a God that can help them, who will provide for my needs. Then it is to say, if I have these things, and yet I see a brother or someone around who is lacking, and I fail to give them, the love of the Father is not in me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. My little children, let us not love word or in tongue but in deed and in truth 1 John 3.18 faith is going to be alive with mercy to others not in that general just I pity you I'm not talking about the southern oh bless your heart alright because y'all know that's not (laughs) mercy he's, he's saying what good is it? What, what effect is it having in people's life? If God is doing this work in your life, how is it impacting the people around you? And so he just brings out this kind of absurd idea. If someone's lacking in clothing and, and poorly clothing, you just say, Shalom, go in peace, be warmed and filled. It's, uh, it's kind of like it's raining. And uh, I, have a, I have two umbrellas in my hand. And I say, see ya. I hope you stay dry. But I don't give the umbrella. It's the same absurd idea. And the fact is, what do you have? You may not have everything, but if there is something that God has blessed you with that you can help someone else, he says, James is bringing out, where's faith in this? What does that mean to trust God with this? To see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance, to realize that when you're in a circumstance where there is need around you, God has put that circumstance before you. To see what you'll do and how you'll trust God. And I'm not just talking about the panhandlers around. But it's to say intentionally, how are you working in your life 
to bring people up around you. Sometimes it is in your budget and planning for it. And one of the things you've got to keep in mind, and you know, as I'm sitting here with X amount of dollars, I also have five other people that can be poor and needy too. And I've got to figure out how do I meet their needs as a father in priority, but then also to say as a family together, how can we meet someone else's needs? And so that's when we've taken advantage of things like uh, Finney's project with Alpha and, and taking care of a, a family or a, a child in India or various other projects that can come along, compassion and other things. It could be things right here in our school systems, in our community to say, let's do this together. But keep on reading. Faith is, is alive with mercy to others. But then you see also another direction, especially as we get down to verse 21 through 26. He, James gives these illustrations. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active all along with his works and faith was completed by his, by his works. So he talks about the father of the Jews, Abraham, their father. And then he talks about Rahab, the prostitute, uh, kind of a known sinner in verse 25 through 26. But we see that faith is not only to be alive with mercy to others, but faith is also to be alive to God. Alive to God with sacrifice, and surrender to him and so not only is it horizontal but faith is to be vertical living and reacting to God to be alive to him believing the words that he says and so he gives this example of Abraham and Isaac this is found in Genesis 22 you might have read this if you've gone through the F260 uh, and basically the the idea God gave Isaac as a promise he's a miracle child to Abraham uh, and Sarah but as he gets older he says I want you to go up to a mountain of which I will show you and I want you to sacrifice your son there Abraham wisely did not tell Sarah and just gathered up early in the morning his son went up with the wood took his son to the mountain of which God showed him and there tied his son, bundled him upon the sacrifice of the altar, and was about to lift his knife and lower it down in obedience to God. And as he was doing so, a voice stopped Abraham and said, Stop. Don't lay a hand on your son. For now I know that you trust me, that you love me more than your son. And he said, Look, and he looked over and he saw in a thicket a ram that was provided. And he made this statement, You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. And it has this interesting phrase, And on this mount it will be provided. On this mountain it will be provided. Which mountain? The mountain that God chose and directed Abraham in. If you go to Jerusalem today, they will tell you and point to a spot where they believe Abraham offered up Isaac. There's a mosque there commemorating that. But more importantly, 
there's a temple that once was there. The temple where sacrifices would go up. Pointing to God. And even more importantly, in that area also is where Jesus became the ram. When God said to Abraham, stop, your son can't do it for you. But on this mountain, it will be provided. What? The salvation for Abraham, for Isaac, for you, and for me. And to say, because of what God is doing and how he sacrificed for me, so too I am to be alive and trusting, loving, surrendering to this Lord, to this God. As we read in in Rahab, uh, he, he gives us this example in verse 25 through 26. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute, prostitute justified by works. Now Rahab is a, a lady that was in Jericho. She was a Canaanite. They were not known to be worshipers of God, but, but anti. But she had heard word of what God was doing with the Israelites. And so when the spies come into Jericho checking things out, word gets out and people are trying to find them. Rahab, the prostitute, hides the spies and then lets them out the side window with a rope, a red rope, and she says, just remember me. When you come and destroy this place, and they say, here's the sign. You leave this red rope, and we will come back and rescue you. And so she did, and she was rescued. Rahab entered into the community of faith, married, had a son by the name of Boaz. Boaz had another foreign woman by the name of Ruth. And they, in turn, had sons. A grandson being David. The father, ultimately, of Jesus himself. But it was done by believing what God had said, trusting and acting on it. And so let me ask you, if anyone was trying to prove to you that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, where's the evidence? What would they say to you? And it's going to be more than, has to be more than just what you know. It can't be just because I I read the Bible. Because you hadn't separated yourself from the demons. Just know, the demons might know more about the Bible than you do. Satan was quoting scripture to Jesus. And Jesus had to quote back. So it's more than the fact that you go to church But it's going to be found in your heart surrender to say, I love you, God. I see the beauty of God's authority in my life. And I follow and I surrender to the beauty of God's authority in my life. Don't be just a demon who will one day begrudgingly recognize God's authority. But do so now with the loveliness to say, God, your authority is beautiful to me in my life. That speed limit is beautiful to me in my life. This direction of God's word to me is beautiful to me in my life. And yes, I've got some things that rises up against this, but they are not nearly as beautiful as who God is. So ice cream might taste good, but good health might be the better joy. Our passing desires of our flesh will feel good for a while, but it won't be as satisfying as the joy of Jesus in our life. 
and the believers are the ones who have been touched and seen that God is good and they want to stay within his authority for the rest of the life because he is beautiful. Faith without works has no impact in the world around and God is looking to see will you prove it? Will you prove it? It comes down to simply this. When Jesus asked, was asked, what is the greatest thing you can do? He said simply this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that isn't a sentimentality. That isn't just an emotion. We think love is a sentimentality and emotion. Love is measured by your choices, your priorities. And so when God sees your priorities, what does he see that you love? Let's pray.